Hello everyone. Welcome to God Talk with Tara. I am Tara and we are going to begin with prayer before we dive into kind of a wrestling topic tonight. Um, Father God, thank you so much for the week. Thank you for the time with Jordan this past week and the time to sleep and recover from all of the, the running that we've been doing over these last several weeks, Lord God. We are so blessed by all that you have done in our lives and all that you continue to do, Lord, in the lives of your people. We are blessed, Lord, not just when things are going well, but when everything falls apart and we are given a chance to see your presence, to watch you move, Lord God, to watch you pick up the pieces of brokenness and despair and difficulty and make something new and beautiful from them. So I pray, Lord, tonight that all those who are mm, currently dwelling in darkness will see your light, that you will shine forth in them tonight and on them, Lord God, that you will bring encouragement and joy and grace and love to the hearts and the minds of your people. Father, I pray that my words would be your words. I pray that I would be small tonight, that you would make me tiny, Lord God, and that you would magnify yourself in the words that I speak, that you would magnify yourself, Father, in the hearts and the minds and the ears of the people who are listening. And I just pray, God, that you would be glorified in all that your people say and do in the days ahead. We thank you, Father, for all that you are and all that you do and all that you have given us, Father. We are so blessed and we are so grateful. In Jesus' name and by your spirit and all for your honor and glory, Lord. Amen. Um, so tonight, uh, I am going to talk about a message that actually came probably close to a week ago. Uh, March 15th is the Ides of March. And it is the time when everybody contemplates Caesar salad dressings with knives sticking out of them and a two brute becomes a catchphrase uh, for a day. And we recall the story of Julius Caesar and the betrayal uh, by his closest friends. And this year that has been particularly poignant for many of the people that I know who are involved in various ways in the Methodist Church and the Global Methodist Church and the United Methodist Church and friends with people who are in these various denominational disputes at the moment. Um, it is a time of great turmoil and it is a time of feelings of betrayal among so many of God's people. And so my friend Warren had posted something about the concept of betrayal in ministry. And it really kind of got me to thinking about scripture and, and about what God really has to say to us about betrayal and some things to help us keep those experiences in perspective. So Warren has been in ministry for many, many years and was talking of the fact that as, as part of that, Pastors in particular will always experience at various points in their ministry betrayal, and frequently that will come from those that they least expect it from. It will come from people who are trusted members of their congregation. Um, it will come in unfounded accusations. It will come in gossip. It will come in um, 
leaving in a huff and taking half the congregation. He didn't say that. That would be uh, that would be a personal experience there. And in the end, what it does is it leaves you feeling as though you can't trust people. That and and sometimes it will leave you feeling as though you can't trust God. And this is where we come into the problem with betrayal as men and women of God. We as Christians feel like other Christians should behave Christianly <laughs> and that because God does not betray his people and we are supposed to become more Christ-like, that we would not betray one another. That is, that is the inherent thought in our minds when it comes to dealing with the people of God. And so when we find ourselves in situations where the devil has gotten the better of someone, uh, whether it is us that he's gotten the better of or someone else, and friend has come against friend and is stabbing each other in the back and creating these difficulties, um, not just for ourselves, but for our families, then we have to look to what Jesus looked like in those circumstances and situations. Um, so as I was rereading a little bit of what Warren had had to say, it is necessary for pastors, he says, to develop a tough hide and a forgiving spirit. And I would almost challenge that because one of the problems with developing a tough hide is that you block yourself off from people. And the conventional wisdom is when it comes to pastors, the conventional wisdom is that pastors need to stay somewhat separated from their flock in order to maintain um well, in order to maintain healthy boundaries is what they would say. And in order to not leave themselves vulnerable to people within their congregation that might wish them harm, but also in order to maintain a level of authority that allows them to be looked at as leaders in their congregations. And I think that that may be a wrong understanding. Um, I read a, an article the other day about a pastor who had taken her own life over in, um, in the UK. And the, the long piece that the person had written was about the fact that pastors are in an unenviable position where they are expected to bear the burdens of their congregations. They're expected to be shepherds. They're expected to do this without the connection with the congregation that other congregation members have. So in other words, they're not peers with their congregation, so they can't be vulnerable and real with their congregation. But their leadership in Episcopacy also is a threat oftentimes because if they acknowledge the struggles that they're having, it can have a negative impact on their career. And as I'm listening to, you know, as, as I'm reading that and I'm looking at the thought processes behind that, all I can think is 
the problem is people are not vulnerable with one another and the pastors are not vulnerable with their congregation and they're not because they've been told they shouldn't be because they have to be the leaders and that's not what they are. Pastors are leaders, don't get me wrong, but they're leaders of leaders. Everybody in the church has a role as a follower of Jesus Christ and a leader of other people toward Jesus Christ. That's what it is to be a disciple. We are called to make disciples that will come after us. And so we need to be in a position where we're willing to be open and honest and share with those around us and the pastors in our midst, in our congregations are members of our congregations. They're not, and that's a problem. And so, so in the UMC, that's not actually true. They're not members of the congregation. They're sent there by, um, by the bishops and they are going to be removed at some point in time and moved on and new, new pastors are going to be incoming and they have their reasons for doing that. But I think that kind of a, system is actually part of what contributes to pastors being vulnerable to depression and anxiety and not being able to walk in the fullness of Christ in them because they are not able to develop the kind of relationships that we're meant to have within the body of Christ. Because none of us within the body of Christ are meant to be disconnected in any way, shape, or form from the rest of the body of Christ. And I think that that disconnection is what leaves room for that kind of betrayal that, that causes us such deep damage. Um, but I think it is also what leaves room for us to, for us to be deeply damaged by that kind of betrayal. So it's not tough skin that we need. It is a heart so filled with God that our immediate reaction to betrayal is love and grace and the fullness of Jesus. And in that process, that protects us. It's not that we don't feel pain. Jesus felt pain. It is that we are filled with the presence of God to the point that the pain is turned over to him to carry for us. So we're not carrying it ourselves. And that allows us to be vulnerable and open and real with people in ways that will reach them when they are in a place of betrayal. And so we're going to take a, a look a little bit at this concept of betrayal in scripture, um, particularly of the, the crucifixion, well, the night before the crucifixion. So we're going to start with Paul's letter to the Corinthians, where he is describing for them the Lord's Supper and what happened. It says, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night he when he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Um, now I'm going to stop there because this is not really the focus of of where I'm going. Um, it was the first verse that came to me when I was thinking of the concept of betrayal, but it points back to the night when the disciples and Jesus had gathered to celebrate the Passover. Now, this is sort of a long passage, and I'm going to read the whole thing because you need to pay attention 
to the people that are involved here and what they're doing. Because when we think of the betrayal of Jesus, we think in terms of Judas betrayed Jesus to the Sanhedrin and their um, their guards and, and their various people that were there to arrest him and turn him over to the Roman soldiers. That's what we think of when we think of the betrayal. But I think that as we read back through the passage, and I'm going to, I'm going to read the one in Mark. Um, as we read through the passage, we may come to an understanding that it was not only Jesus that betrayed, or Judas that betrayed Jesus in this passage. So we're going to take a look here. Um, So they're eating together and he took bread and he offered it and he took the cup and gave thanks and they all drank of it. Now, mind you, in this passage in Mark, and this is in chapter 14, Judas is still sitting at the table with Jesus when he institutes the Lord's Supper. And he says to them, it's one of the 12, one who is dipping bread into this dish with me that is going to betray them. He's, he said, one of you will betray me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been better for that man if he had not been born. Um, now, we come down past this and we're going to pick up in verse 26 and I'm going to read it on through. And when they had sung a hymn, they went out to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus said to them, You will all fall away, for it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. But after I am raised up, I will go before you to Galilee. And Peter said to him, Even though they all fall away, I will not. And Jesus said to him, Truly I tell you this very night, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. But he said emphatically, if I must die with you, I will not deny you. And they all said the same. And they went to a place called Gethsemane. And he said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. And he took with him Peter and James and John and began to be greatly distressed and troubled. And he said to them, my soul is very sorrowful, even unto death. Remain here and watch. And going a little further, he fell on the ground and prayed that if it were possible, the hour might pass from him. And he said, Abba, Father, all things are possible for you. Remove this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And he came and found them sleeping. And he said to Peter, Simon, are you asleep? Could you not watch one hour? Watch and pray that you may not enter into temptation. The spirit indeed is willing, but the flesh is weak. And again, he went away and prayed, saying the same words. And again, he came and found them sleeping, for their eyes were very heavy, and they did not know what to answer him. And he came the third time and said to them, Are you still sleeping and taking your rest? It is enough. The hour has come. The Son of Man is betrayed into the hands of sinners. Rise, let us be going. See, my betrayer is at hand. And immediately, while he was still speaking, Judas came, one of the twelve, and with him a crowd with swords and clubs from the chief priests and the scribes and the elders. Now the betrayer had given them a sign, saying, The one I will kiss is the man. Seize him and lead him away under guard. And when he came, he went up to him at once and said, Rabbi, and kissed him. And they laid hands on him and seized him. But one of those who stood by drew his sword and struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his ear. And Jesus said to him, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? 
Day after day I was with you in the temple teaching, and you did not seize me. But let the scriptures be fulfilled. And they all left him and fled. And a young man followed him with nothing but a linen cloth about his body. And they seized him, but he left the linen cloth and ran away naked. And they led Jesus to the high priest. And all the chief priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards and warming himself at the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, but they found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And some stood up and bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy this temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another not made with hands. Yet even about this their testimony did not agree. And the high priest stood up in the midst and asked Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify against you? But he remained silent and made no answer. Again, the high priest asked him, Are you the Christ, the Son of the Blessed? And Jesus said, I am, and you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garments and said, What further witness do we need? You have heard this blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned him as deserving death. And some began to spit on him and to cover his face and to strike him, saying, Prophesy, and the guards received him with blows. And as Peter was below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest came, and seeing Peter warming himself, she looked at him and said, You also were with the Nazarene Jesus. But he denied it, saying, I neither know nor understand what you mean. And he went out into the gateway, and the rooster crowed. And the servant girl saw him and began again to say to the bystanders, This man is one of them. But again he denied it, and after a little while, the bystanders again said to Peter, Certainly, you are one of them, for you are a Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, Before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And he broke down and wept. Now we're going to stop right there. And I want to kind of highlight a few things here. The job of the priests and the, the scribes and the high priests in the Jewish community was to watch over the spiritual well-being of the people. Um, and in this case, to be looking for the Messiah who had been promised by God. And so, in effect, they should have been Jesus's biggest proponents and protectors because he had been performing all of the signs. He had met the the biblical prophecies. Um, he had fulfilled the law and the prophets, and he had done all of the things that God had said his Messiah would do, including healing the sick and the blind and the lame. Um, but instead of protecting him or following him or revering him, they instead sought people to lie about him so that they could turn him over to the Romans, who were the vicious enemies of the Jewish people who were oppressing the Jewish people at the time, so that they could turn him over to the Romans to kill him. So he was betrayed by those who were leaders of God's people. 
Judas, obviously, was one of the twelve, and he had betrayed Jesus by turning him over to these people who sought his death. The people in the crowd who, a week before this, had been crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna, um, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, were likely some of the same people that were still in town here in Jerusalem and who were surrounding him at this point in time as the Sanhedrin was looking for people to condemn Christ and to lie about the things they had heard, there were likely those that had been in that first crowd that were still in this crowd who were saying all kinds of things about things Jesus had not actually done. They were lying about him with the full knowledge that that would lead to his death. And then you have the disciples at the very beginning of this who had gone with Jesus to pray. And you have Peter and James and John who had gone a little further on with him, his best friends. And he asks them to stay awake and to watch with him so that he could pray to the Father. And they fall asleep on him, not once, but three times. And then you have Peter, who adamantly denies what Christ says. Jesus says that they will all fall away. That I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. And Peter says to him, even though everybody else is going to fall away, I'm not going to fall away. I will not deny you. And yet, Jesus' prediction comes true that in one of the other accounts, Jesus' eyes meet Peter's when the rooster crows, and that's when Peter runs away crying after he's denied Jesus three times. And he knows that Jesus knows that he has betrayed him by denying him. This passage, we also see that after Jesus is arrested, all of the disciples that had gone with him to the Garden of Gethsemane, not just the three that had gone on further, but the entirety of Jesus's disciples scattered and ran away. Now, John's account shows that John went with him to the house of Caiaphas, but he was the only one. Peter trails along behind, um, but he stays out in the courtyard and eventually denies Jesus and denies being his friend, denies being his disciple. And so Jesus is fully abandoned by all of those that he has spent the last three years traveling with that he has spent the last three years pouring himself out to teach them and to help them to see Abba Father, to help them grow in faith and understanding of who God is and who they've been called to be, to help them grow into the men that he is molding them into to carry the church forward. Jesus finds himself as the, the head of this nascent um, movement as the Messiah, as God's chosen one, who you would think would be, you know, pretty invulnerable. Um, he finds himself stabbed in the back in the worst ways we can imagine. Every single person 
who should have been with him and should have stood by him and should have revered or or loved him and worshipped him, all of them, in some form or fashion, on this night that he was betrayed, betray him. He even finds himself with God turning his face away. Now, what does this mean for us when we are faced with betrayal from those who should know better? Because, I mean, obviously the scribes and the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, they should have known better, right? They were devout Jews. They were devout followers of Yahweh. And they knew their scripture, they knew the prophets, they knew the prophecies. So when Jesus Christ stands there and says that, yes, he is the son of God to these people, um, then these are the people that should be watching over him, right? These are the people that should, that, that should have been the most righteous, that should have been the least likely to stuff a knife in his back or turn him over to Rome and to Pontius Pilate to be flogged and nailed to a cross. And yet these are the ones, because of threats to their security, because of threats to their power, to be, because of threats to their understanding and vision of who they thought God should be and what they thought his promises should look like, they betrayed the Son of God and had him hung on a cross. So that's your church leadership betraying you as you go along, right? And then you look at his disciples who were his best friends, his small group buddies that knew all of what was going on, that, you know, they, they were with him all the time. They walked with him all, wherever he went. They were in ministry with him. They were side by side up to their elbows, healing people, casting out demons, feeding multitudes. They were with him all the time. They were close to him. He knew all their secrets. They knew all his. And Judas betrays him. And Peter denies him. And all the rest of them run away. Leave him abandoned alone to stand in front of Pontius Pilate, to stand in front of Caiaphas, to face the cross by himself. These are the moments when your best friend decides that they can't hang out with you anymore because of the gossip that they just heard. That your partners in ministry have decided that they like somebody else better and so they're going to ask you to step down. That they're going to run away to a different church because the other preacher is on fire and you're dead inside or whatever it is. Whatever it is, this is your best friends 
stabbing you in the back and leaving you broken and bloody and bleeding. Jesus has been through all of these things and he sets the example of what we are supposed to do. Why do I know we're supposed to do this? Because scripture tells us that we are to be Christ-like, that our demeanor and our attitude and our hearts are to be Christ-like. And I want to come back to that thought of growing a thick skin in a minute. Um, and maybe that's actually where we need to go. So let's go back to the night before all of this. Jesus is reclining at the table with all of his disciples. He has set the Passover meal for them. The remembrance of the mighty deeds that God has done in delivering his people out of Egypt. And he is sitting with his friends, worshiping the Lord with them. They sing a hymn, worshiping the Lord with them this last time. In John, it tells us that he washed their feet to show them what it was to be served and to show them how much he loved them, that they were his friends and not just his students anymore. He prayed over them and asked God to protect them and to strengthen them. And he shared bread and wine with Judas and washed at Judas's feet, even knowing what was coming. And this is Jesus. He doesn't really have a thick skin. Instead, he has an internal certainty of who he is and who he belongs to and that God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believed in him would not perish and would have everlasting life. Jesus not only did not resist the blade of his enemy, even knowing it was coming, he went and prayed for the strength that he needed to embrace that so that he could fulfill his mission. And in doing so, you know, as my friend Warren pointed out, he offered grace to Judas and Judas refused and ran. But that wasn't true for the other people that betrayed him that night. He restored Peter. And he restored John and Thomas and all of the other disciples. He lovingly brought them back together and showed himself to them and let them touch his scars and see him eating and drinking with them and talking with them and walking with them. He embraced the pain of that betrayal and said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. 
And he went on to have his disciples invite even the Pharisees and the scribes and the teachers of the law to join them in worshiping the Messiah that God had sent to save them. He prayed for his father's forgiveness for those who were killing him. And he prayed for his disciples, even knowing what they were going to do. And he left himself open and vulnerable because he loved people enough to be willing to take the slings and arrows, um, as I have heard it called, to be, take, to be willing to take the hammer and the nails to reconcile them to God. Now, as we think about that, I want to remind us that scripture says that we are the body of Jesus Christ. That he is the head and we are the body. Scripture also says that it is, it is his body that is given for the salvation of the world. Now, I want you to hear me real loud and clear. We are not saviors, you and I. But we carry in us the Holy Spirit, who is the spirit of the one who is the savior of the world and who is the Lord of lords. And he has given us into the world to continue his mission of rescue. And in doing that, there are going to be times when you have to welcome the knife in the back, even knowing that it's coming where he is going to call upon you to sacrifice in pain and in anguish and in tears so that others might know him and be saved. And we have to be prepared for that because otherwise we'll falter and we'll run and we'll harden ourselves. And we will no longer be the supple and submitted conduits of God's grace through his presence in us. So as you contemplate the betrayals that you are suffering through, and I know that many of my friends are suffering through an awful lot of them right now, when we contemplate those betrayals that we're suffering through, Remember that he was betrayed first and that it was in the betrayal that salvation came, that without the betrayal, there would have been no crucifixion, but without the crucifixion, there would have been no resurrection and you and I would still be trapped and dying in our sin and so would the rest of the world. Sometimes it is betrayal that brings about the perfect plans of God and brings about the rescue of those who do the betraying. Father God, I pray that you would give us strength tonight to be weak and to be vulnerable, to be open and real and authentic, to allow ourselves, Lord God, to accept 
to accept whatever you send our way. Sometimes, Father, that is enormous blessings of abundance and we are on such highs and everything is going well. And sometimes, Father God, what you send is a knife in the back and nails in the wrist. And Lord, we often wonder why, but I don't think that's the question we need to ask. We just need to ask you, Lord, to be with us in it, to carry us through it, Lord, and to use it, to use it, Father God, for our good, for your glory, and for others' gain. Because without a willingness, Father, to be betrayed, without your willingness to be betrayed, we would still be lost. And Father, we desire above all things to fulfill the mission that Christ gave us to go and make disciples, to go and rescue those who are perishing, to go to those who need to hear you, Lord. But many times those are going to be the ones that's, that stab us and hurt us and beat us down. So Father, give us strength to love them, to forgive them, and to keep loving them. We thank you, Lord, for all that you do and all that you are. And we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Be blessed and be a blessing.